All right, today, week five of poverty, uh, Christian response to poverty. Let's do it. We're going to do a, a quick little review, and then we have a special guest speaker this week, uh, and we'll go, we'll talk with Mike and ask him some questions. Just to make sure everyone's on the same page, our working definition of poverty is poverty is a result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. So for those you can't remember the long one, the short one is poverty equals broken relationships. <coughs> poverty alleviation therefore becomes a ministry of reconciliation in moving people closer to glorifying God in their relationship with themselves, with creation, and with others. And then since I'm a math nerd, my graph. This is how I remember this class, is this and the next one. Uh, you have yourself, God is the center of everything. Uh, and people through God have relationship with others and then back to themselves and then with creation. And through this is where you, you see the different ways of poverty alleviation, whether it be evangelism, well, everything involves evangelism. And then through that, where you're into social justice, where you're into education support, or you're into resources, which we'll hear from Mike a lot about today. And then the stages of poverty alleviation, you have a baseline, a crisis ensues, and then you have relief down here. The purpose of relief is stop the drop from crisis. Relief is not intended to be forever. It's to stop the drop. Then you go into recovery, and then when you get back to your baseline, then you switch from recovery to development. So in a lot of ways, recovery and development are very, very similar. There are some differences on how you approach them, uh, which we'll get into probably like in three weeks. So that, that's a quick, relatively quick review of what we've done so far. Last week, uh, Rebecca covered a lot of the Old Testament scriptures when you look at kind of how they structured, uh, God structured Israel at the time uh, as we moved forward. Uh, next week, we'll probably talk about some of the New Testament scriptures on how that relates to poverty alleviation. But for this week, we have Mike Haskins who is the Urban Missions Pastor at New Vision Christian Fellowship in San Diego, California, which according to my best friend from medical school is the perfect place on earth. <laughs> Gary White. Yes. He would say, every day is perfect in San Diego, is what he would tell us. When we were in St. Louis and we were trudging through the snow, he would always tell me, every day is perfect in San Diego. <laughs> and, uh, and this is uh, David Rubio, our youth minister met Mike last summer, and this is how he describes them. A group of former youth ministry misfits who stumbled into an old Baptist church that was going under and turned it into a dynamic growing church. So if, if, if that's not setting high expectations, Mike, for this class. Uh, Mike's going to talk about a little bit of what they do there, and uh, we may have some questions and answers with him. Uh, but Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you and... Uh, do what you want to do. All right. 
Well, thank you so much for, for having us. We enjoyed uh, the hospitality of your uh, church even last summer as they came and they uh, served alongside of us. Yeah, we'll record this class. Oh, you're going to record this. Okay. So you can actually listen to yourself online and oh. send that back to see All right. how good you were. Okay. <laughs> Super. So um, my role at New Vision is basically to, to bring outside resources in. We're an urban church. Um, in an urban church, resources is actually one of the, the biggest challenges that we face on a very practical, practical level. Geographically, where in San Diego is your church? We are located in University Heights on the edges of North Park and Hillcrest. So that area sits on the upper east corner of over downtown, very central. Uh, we would be east of I-5. So uh, it's a very interesting place to be. We're also at the gateway of uh, Mid-City, City Heights, uh, which is right now the most diverse community in the country. Uh, we have a huge, we're a gateway city for refugees. So in that area, uh, in Mid-City, uh, there are an amazing number of languages spoken in the public school system. Uh, huge diversity. We see a lot of that diversity uh, coming through our food distribution uh, program that we uh, we distributed uh, once a week. Now we were doing twice a week when the group was down there. But uh, as people coming through, I mean, we're seeing people from every corner of Africa, and uh, we've got uh, because of our proximity to the border, a lot of uh, Hispanic. Uh, we've got people from Eastern Europe, and. Uh, from Asia, all over Asia, uh, that come through as part of that. Um, again, my role is to because as we're an urban church, we're we're uh, we have a lot of different outreach that that goes on. Uh, we are a congregation. We're multi-ethnic and cross-socioeconomic. So if you came in to uh, service with us and sat down, you might be sitting next to a, a banker or a lawyer or somebody profess uh, a professional. Uh, or somebody that's somewhere of an admitted come, or you might be sitting next to somebody who's homeless. And we pursue those as just the same, you know, as we would anybody else. There's no uh, desire to, to try to reach out to a, a certain segment. If anything, we err on the side of, of the lower income of wanting to reach out to them because that's where the church is. Uh, probably the, the weakest is in these urban areas where there's so many people and so much of the church is left. I don't know if you've ever seen a church in a downtown area or, or a building in a downtown area that's a bookstore or a coffee shop that looked like it might have been a church. And back in the day when they were planning cities, they would the city fathers would often set aside land right in the city center so as new churches came in, they were there able to be a part and be central uh, to that. Uh, but what's happened is areas get urbanized, communities change, people start to move out, and a lot of times the resource leaves with them, leaving remnants of churches behind. And that's really what the, the congregation uh, for the building that we uh, have, that property, uh, was a, had been dormant for 30 years. And one of the neatest things about what I get to do is I get to see God do kingdom work that isn't, doesn't have any boundaries to it um, of denomination or non-denomination. Um, what that 
his description doesn't describe my family. He describes our staff. Um, youth ministry misfits. Um, God has seen fit to drop a number of uh, urban youth workers all together in the same place. And so if you can imagine how wild and crazy youth workers get with you know, the things that they do and the boundaries they push, uh, we kind of all get to do that together and really go after uh, the, the community that we have a heart for, which is that urban community reaching out to people. Uh, very exciting, no, no day is the same there. Uh, and we, my role is to basically to bring outside resources along, which includes other churches. So I get to, to interact with churches from every you know, denomination there. And the basis that we do that on is not theology, not style of worship, uh, but on service. Service is the common denominator. Service is that thing that we can do with just about anybody. Uh, we can serve together, and in that service, we can build relationship. There's a context there that we can share together and build relationship. So that's, a, that's just kind of a little bit of what I do. Um, I love your, can we go back to your definition of poverty? Sure. So I, I was looking at this, I was like, I, I, I'm thankful it doesn't include, that finances isn't included in that. There's no reference in that quote to money. Okay? Because poverty isn't just about money. We can experience poverty in every aspect of our life. Yeah, sir. San Diego because there's a BET television show mm -hmm. called The Game, and mm -hmm. it takes place in San Diego, and it's the San Diego Savers. So I just think oh, it's interesting. very interesting, and always <laughs> across my mind when I hear people talk about uh, San Diego, which is a fictional football team. You use the term urban. Um, another way of describing your church, is it close to the inner city? Is that another way? San Diego is really interesting as far as how that's laid out. Uh, we uh, do have a, a what would look more like an inner city area uh, near the downtown. Uh, but one of the things that San Diego did uh, back in the day is uh, when other cities were embracing government housing projects and tenement buildings and those kinds of things, um, San Diego pushed back on that. And uh, there, it really is, um, it's a suburban, suburban areas that have been increasingly characterized by things that are urban. Um, higher levels of crime, uh, lower incomes, uh, issues with uh, social issues with gangs and uh, problems with um, in the schools that are there. As that has grown, um, it it and it's interesting because it's woven into uh, the community at every level. If you go downtown, some of our nicest restaurants on top of them are some of the lowest income housing that's available, and so people are. You know, we'll go through the door of a restaurant and into a very nice affluent restaurant and then around the corner is another door that's not even marked with a sign that, you know, leads up to, uh, you know, these, these places where uh, the housing conditions are, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, one of my friends is the dean at uh, Fresno City College and she talks about these 
cities in California, not the, not Los Angeles, that are going through this issue. Then the last question I want to ask you is: mm -hmm. San Diego has a huge gang problem. Yes. Uh, how do you all deal with the gang affiliation and then the gang? Um, let me give you an example. In the mm -hmm. neighborhood that I grew up in, about the time I hit twenty, that was gangs. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. We didn't fully understand it because all the guys in my neighborhood were mm -hmm. trying to sell dope. Um, which I don't know if that's a better thing or I think it's a terrible thing also. Mm -hmm. But that's what the choice that they made because of the economic conditions. Mm -hmm. But with gangs, they're just doing it, there may not be any money in it. It's just random killing and it's to be honest with you, it's quite barbaric. Mm -hmm. In a Christian environment, considering that San Diego, the way that it is set up, mm -hmm. it is sort of suburban, these guys could be living on top of each other and have different gang affiliations. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? We've got part of it's the same way that we deal with everything, it's relationship. Okay. There, there, we've got uh, one of our interns, uh, his name is Carmelo, um, comes out of a, a gang environment. Uh, he, we encountered him coming out of prison um, and he made this journey uh, to California from, I think it was Arizona, and had, had somebody shared their faith with him and, and, and as he took this journey, God, he started to see God working in his life and he got plugged in. Uh, with our church because it was a condition of uh, the probation that he was on uh, to go into our men's program. And as we built relationship with Carmelo, it's been amazing to see the transformation in him. Uh, so much so that when we went to go get uh, passport papers for him to go on a Dominican Republic trip, he had to go, had some things to go through to be able to get through uh, the State Department and everything to be able to make that trip out of the country. And as we're going back, uh, our youth pastor traveled back with him, uh, went in, asking for court hearings, asking for uh, things to happen really quickly that don't happen very quickly, to deal with the mess that you know, was from his past life so he could go and step in to missionary work. Carmelo got put into, had, he, there was an outstanding warrant for him on a former uh, charge and so he actually had to go into the jail. And as he did, he's telling his story. Every place he's going, he's getting the opportunity to tell his story. This is why here, I'm going on a missions trip. I wanted, I uh, was here and then God did this in my life and now I'm, I'm here and I'm trying to go and get my papers together so I can go on a mission trip so I can share Jesus with people. And as he's doing that, he's sharing Jesus with people. And which was amazing to see the, tr the transformation. I mean, he came out of that going, man, I'm living the, you know, the book of Acts. Okay? I'm, I am seeing it. And they, they, they moved him from one cell to another because there was a kid over in this cell that needed to hear, you know, something encouraging, something that would change his life. Um, so we see God not wasting any of those um, circumstances. What's interesting is that Carmelo, um, his father is uh, incarcerated and he still has relationships where he was the guy that went out and beat people up and was, was somebody that uh, was kind of an enforcer type. Um, he is being sent back by his dad to be able to collect gang money so that his dad has money on accounts in the, in the prison there. Um, there's a whole kind of system that, that goes along with that. And so he's going back and that becomes an opportunity as he's going back to his father's gang buddies. He's trying to share Jesus with them. 
And it's, and it's hilarious because like he's the one that, you know, would come to go get the money, you know, he's going to beat somebody down if they didn't pay up. That's the old Carmelo. And his buddies are all going, or the, the gang members are going, we don't know what to do with this. We, we understood you when you were beating people up, but you're this different person now and you're bringing this Jesus thing around and here, here's the money, go, <laughs> you know? But it's, 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 it's affording him opportunities to do that. Um, so that's one of the things with New Vision is helping people find a different vision for their life um, that doesn't make necessarily um, make their old life go away, but gives it new definition. Um, that old life is, um, you know, the, not all of it, those relationships are, are, there's a lot of broken relationships in there that God is giving him the chance to go back and help be a part of restoring uh, with that. So often times we think in terms just of the social issues and we want them to stop being a gang member and be a good person, you know, be a law-abiding law person, be a person that earns your money by, you know, hard work and effort. Um, and we miss the value of that connectedness that person has um, if it's possible for them to do that in a way it's not going to draw them back into that. Uh, but that's discipleship and relationship for that. He's got people in his life that are investing in him and caring about him, uh, that are challenging him and calling him out with that. And we have replaced uh, what a lot of gang affiliation is about, is trying to find family. Trying with an with absence of, of fathers uh, who are investing in their uh, young people in, in healthy ways. Um, these kids that God Put, put us in this to look for relationship and to look for those for purpose and they find purpose um, albeit in criminal activities in you know these the gain activities that are there so that's an example of one way that we've handled that we have a lot of people in our congregation that have gang tattoos and prison tattoos and have come out of that uh, deal they're, and they're part of the congregation that's that's there and they have value uh, as they've went from that to seeing God transform that and we have people that are in process still and people it's brand new so, any other questions so do you and your family live down near these areas where you minister we live on site at New Vision so yeah we're in a um, well, probably twice the size of this room, apartments over top of a screen printing shop that's part of the church property. Uh, we um, get to see what's going on in our neighborhood. And again, our neighborhood's really interesting. We are at a crossroads of communities. So if I, when I have a group, sometimes I'll send them out in several different directions to go and, and pray um, throughout our neighborhood. And if I had them describe where they were and what they saw, they would be describing very different things depending on which direction that they went. Uh, that's uh, one of the, the ways that we've seen God work in the vision that our lead pastor had. He, one of his mentors, uh, a guy named Larry Acosta, uh, said to him, Pete, you know, rich people and poor people go to church together if the rich people feel safe and the poor people can get there. So look for a place where you know, you can have your congregation at, at kind of a crossroads. And uh, what's amazing is, is that this uh, property um, that had an existing Southern Baptist con uh, congregation in it, uh, dormant for 30 years, um, they were that church. 
uh, as they had this huge parking lot that sat empty as an affront to a community uh, with a number of businesses there that are desperate for parking and had this empty parking lot and uh, no real impact in the community as they'd had back in the 60s and the 70s. And what ended up happening is our lead pastor came there looking for you know, a place to do a service and uh, talking with the, the, an interim pastor that was there. What was going on is they were actually starting to um, sell the property off. That, that, that's ultimately where that goes. If a church is in decline, you, you're going to get there eventually. And uh, he had known our lead pastor who served faithfully in that community for almost 20 years. And uh, as, as an urban pastor and, and doing you know, things with very little resources. And, and uh, he said, Pete, you know, I know that you're able to do 50 bucks worth of ministry with $5. And I would love to see what you could do with real resources. So I think we should talk with this congregation about Emerge. Pete's not Southern Baptist. And uh, my experience uh, coming out of uh, Christian Church, Church of Christ, and being part of Youth Ministry Networks, and that thing, the Southern Baptists um, never, oh, thank you so much. The Southern Baptists um, seemed like they didn't play nice, unless they were like in charge. But really, what it is, is they had their own thing. Okay, they had their own thing going. I mean, they're, they're, they've got so much resources and so much, and they didn't need necessarily, they were, they were busy in their own networks and their own outreach and those kinds of things. So that for me, it was one of my misconceptions of that. Um, but, but yeah, there was, there's a lot of pride in the amount of resource that they have to go on. They're facing a period of decline right now. Uh, and they're, they're, they're struggling with that because like, we've got all this money, we've got all these people, we've got all these things and yet you know we're not engaging the community anymore we're not engaging in relevant ways so it was a huge piece of kingdom work just alone for the southern baptist to say you know what we're going to give a debt free piece of property city property in a prime location to an outsider which is our lead pastor, um, Pete Contreras. Uh, he would serve mostly out of a, out of a Calvary Chapel kind of background, uh, was educated, ordained, Christian Church, Church of Christ. Uh, that's what I came out of. Uh, he, was, he planted the church that he did with a guy named Nate Landis, who's our school's pastor and does most of his youth ministry on school campuses. Uh, has an impact all over the county with that. And Nate's out of a Mennonite background uh, with uh, went to school at Eastern and is ordained Presbyterian USA. Okay. Uh, we've got others on our staff that come out of these varying uh, places and on paper it shouldn't work. But what we all have in common is that uh, we see the need for the church to be present in the city. And we see a God who wants to reach out to people and share the gospel and, and engage the needs that are there of, of every person. We see the place that, that Jesus would go if he came in here now, 
you know, those places are, you know, right around the corner from us. Uh, those communities, those issues, those needs are right there. And somebody needs to step up and, and do that. And so God has kind of pulled all these different people uh, together. We don't have time to argue over the nitty gritties kind of stuff and that. Uh, we, you know, we've, it's, it's great. They value uh, baptism. They value communion. That's part of our weekly services. That was important kind of out of my heritage uh, to, to be a part of. Um, but we... Uh, the, the things that we share in common are so much more compelling and unifying there to be able to go and, and share the gospel in the community to be effective in doing that and not stuck on, you know, being just busy, occupied with our, you know, trying to define ourselves or, or to get it, everything right and in complete agreement. So we walk through those things as they come up. And, and work through that. But the priority is we got a community that needs to be loved and the church needs to be looking out and reaching out and going out, not trying to get people to come and conform and, and fit in to you know, a culture. And that's what happened with that Southern Baptist Church is that they had declined because they were relying so much on that. With the uh, sort of the uh, many, many threads of, of Christians Right. So um, New Vision was planted as a, a, a non-denominational church out of our lead pastor's backyard. So there wasn't a, you know, any kind of governing authority or funding or anything like that. It just started from scratch with a group of about 15, 20 people. It started to meet together and uh, it all lived in that community and, you know, we're wanting to continue to minister in that community. Uh, as we merged uh, about, is it five years ago, Super Bowl Sunday or six? Four, five, six, something like that. Um, they basically took on fully the identity uh, and the values and the, uh, the mission of New Vision um, as it was stated in the name it over the top of a very, very long-standing, um, you know, 501c3 organization that had been there. We maintain association. This is a, this is something I didn't understand about the Southern Baptists. It's real different from a lot of other denominations. Is uh, you're a Southern Baptist church by association, um, not by top-down governance. So whereas a lot of denominations, the you know, there's a central governing authority that owns everything and directs everything and Southern Baptist churches actually operate pretty independently uh, and choose to uh, be able to you know uh, connect with a with a statement of, of belief and, and those kinds of things so, so is, there, is there elders we do we're developing a leadership team and elders uh, we have pastors <laughs> that are over different ministries and and discipling, that's very different. Uh, for me, all that's very functional. Um, titles are, don't mean a lot to me, uh, but they should describe what the work of, you know, the, a person is doing in, in, that, in that leadership. So we're developing that, yes? Uh, you mentioned food distribution as one yeah. of your ministries. What other sort of ministries? We've got about, 35 or 40 they start 
all over the place. Um, and most of them are born out of somebody's heart for something uh, else. Uh, we've got a, a ministry down to an orphanage down in Mexico uh, that uh, resources go down and teams of people go down uh, to do that. We've got uh, a lot of, of what my uh, program does is bringing people alongside our outreach to the homeless and in low-income hotels uh, downtown uh, we serve as one that we serve a weekly meal in and we actually have a worship service place of business uh, there there are uh, people that have lived there for a long time and there are people who are just trying to get off the street for a night and we serve a meal and actually have a worship service right there in the uh, in the lobby of the hotel go and knock on doors and offer food offer prayer uh, to people that are there uh, we've got that. Uh, we've got an athletics ministry and that is just basically we've created rooms that are, you know, have gym equipment in them. And we have a pastor that leverages uh, the need that people have, especially uh, from a lower income, a lot of times idle, you know, teens, at-risk teens, guys coming out of prison, you know, who working out, that's what they did in there. And... So they come in and we get all this time with them. And in that time, we can invest not only in their physical, uh, but we're, which gives us credibility with them, but we're also getting the time to share with them in spiritual ways. And that's the way a lot of, most, uh, a lot of our ministries work is uh, looking around our community, seeing a need. Uh, somebody uh, has a heart for that need and wants to do something, and we try to come alongside them and help them you know, grow that so they can step forward and a lot of things start really small, start really small. And, and our food distribution is one of those that we were day old bread about a year before I got there. And God took a former drug dealer who saw the need for people to eat, even while he was dealing back in the day, would tell people, uh, I'm not going to deal to you if you don't, you know, put some more food in the cupboards or the fridge for your kids, which is really convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> but... But even then, I mean, God was, was help, he, the need for people to eat um, was, you know, something that was, was on his heart. And so as he came and went on his journey, ended up with us, uh, he gravitated towards that ministry, which is the old bread. And now it's one of the largest food distributions in the county uh, where we're feeding, we're getting enough food out into the community to feed 60, 70,000 people a month. So... And he's a guy that couldn't get a job as a janitor in most other churches. So where does that food come from? Where do you, you don't have a we have we're, we, or no, <laughs> no. Uh, we're very collaborative. That's another distinctive of New Vision and a lot of urban churches that are that are thriving. That's one of the qualities is they collaborate. So um, uh, Feeding America and San Diego Food Bank are two of our biggest. Um, San Diego Rescue Mission. We're very connecting them with the rescue mission. They get a lot of donations and then they move a lot of that out to their ministry partners as well. Uh, that's where the resource comes from. Uh, there's money because you can't, you don't just give, the produce is free, but there's a lot of other stuff that has more value. And uh, we're able to, to get that stuff, you know, pennies on the dollar, but we have other people that come and help support that ministry uh, to do that. And a lot of them are outside our church. Yes. So are those different? We interact with anybody who isn't going to try to control us. So, um, and at the point where 
there, we're in a place where we're going to have to compromise mission. Um, that may be a place where we have to, to part ways. But uh, to, to be able to engage and share, and the, this is how we look at it, and I work with my teams on this, is we're going to Feeding America, the staff I send out with a mission team to go serve there. Um, Feeding America's success is our success. Um, helping them helps us because they provide food to us. And, but beyond that, the time that they get to spend uh, with the staff, I tell them that, that staff's in your sphere of discipleship. You're working together is actually an opportunity to build relationship with somebody and, and maybe you have a chance to share the gospel with them or be present at a time of need. And that credibility that you build as you're building that relationship leads to more access and more opportunities. Uh, so it's, it's really, Got looking beyond just the resource. It's not just, you know, working something out so we can get something done. It's being able to see holistically. Discipleship happens everywhere. Outreach happens everywhere, and that includes the people that we're, you know, connecting ourselves, sharing that, that with. What I like about what they do is. Uh, the fact that it's quite, like you said, it's holistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so often you get, we're, we're here to uh, fix them up, feed, feed, feed the homeless. But part of that is what you talked about, it's, it's relationship building mm-hmm. and, and it's intentionality. It's not that I'm just going to, I have my blinders on, I'm just going to feed the hungry. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm going to do that in the name of Jesus so I can build relationships so that at some point down the road, I have the opportunity to share the story of God with them. Right. And relationship, again, that definition of poverty is key. Um, and, but, it's, and it's, but it's universal as well. It applies, to, it applies to us. We can have a poverty uh, in another area of our life, in our values and, and those kind of things. It's just as detrimental as an economic poverty is as well. Um, let me do a quick exercise that I do with uh, groups as we're going out to prepare to, to interact with homeless. How much time? Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, we're super fast. Um, what do homeless people need? Shelter. Food, shelter. Mm-hmm. What? Safety. Safety. What else? Clothing. Clothing. Love. Love. Community. Community, <laughs> bath, <laughs> hygiene. Mm-hmm. What else? Healthcare. <laughs> Anything else? Purpose. Dignity, purpose, opportunity, opportunity. Acceptance. acceptance, hope, employment, employment. Connection. a car, a car, connections. Jesus. There it is. <laughs> Right. How do you know? How, okay, so we all need those things. How do you know what homeless people need? You got to ask. That's how conversation needs to happen. Um, I could list off a bunch of things that I think people at Brentwood need based on assumptions I might make, based on where you live, that kind of thing and tell you what your needs are, that kind of thing. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Because as I'm doing that, you're going, okay, yeah, maybe. No, I don't need that. I don't want that. 
I've already got that. The only way that I can know what you as a person need is to have a conversation with you and interact with you. And not only that, but I have to have enough credibility that you're going to be honest with me. And that credibility comes by being, you know, engaging in a way that's <coughs> humble, that shows respect for a person, um, just for the sake that they were created in the image of God, just like I was. Okay? They're in a state of brokenness, just like I am, and have need of, of a savior, just like anybody else. Uh, and so that's not going to be a, an obstacle. I'm just going to come and I'm going to start you know, to interact with this person and find out what they need. The amazing things are groups come off the street uh, that they experience as we talk about, because my question when they come off is, what were some of the needs that the people that you interacted with on the streets, some of which may not have even been homeless, some of them that may uh, have been housed but are homeless um, in some kind of transition program. Uh, we asked them what, what were some of the specific needs, and all of a sudden these become people. People that have lives, people that have done things, people that have achieved things, people that have had wealth, people that grew up with nothing, never had a chance, people that have served our country, um, all kinds of people. We've met all kinds of people out in, uh, on the streets. And one of the other things that they come to experience is they pray for a lot of people, but it is not uncommon at all for our groups to be prayed for, for God's word to be shared with them, for them to be challenged by somebody and in living out their faith in a way that's real, um, getting great advice from people who have walked a very hard road. And when uh, they're saying, don't walk this road, this is where it leads, it has a lot more credibility than you know, the officer in the classroom uh, saying, you know, don't do these things, don't do drugs, don't do bad things, um, because they're speaking out of their experience. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, besides that, is they, they, they have Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of people who do have Jesus. I can't assume that just because somebody is uh, economically impoverished that their state in the kingdom has changed and that they're just in a different life circumstance now. Uh, when we start assuming that's a dangerous place to go because Jesus, the conditions that he came into this world under are a lot closer to what's on the street than, you know, what most of us experience in, out of a middle income, uh, Amer not United States of America. So one of the most surreal experiences I've, I've had was when our, uh, I went out with our lead pastor the first time at night to go in and interact with a church that actually met on the street. And we were walking away and, and I saw somebody, you know, stretched out, you know, sleeping right next to a fence as I went by and something about it made me do a double take. And it was, it was so interesting because here's this lady, she's laid out in her sleeping bag, propped up on her elbows, flashlight tucked up under her chin. She's got her word, got her devotion laid out doing something that I've seen a thousand times at camp with kids on bunks doing. And that's one of the things that woke me up and go, wait a minute, you know, what are my assumptions? What am I, but it's relationship. And it's not just fixing their relationships with everybody in their life, it's us being willing to have a relationship, which takes time, which takes us having to set things aside sometime to make ourselves available 
uh, to be with people. And that's one of the things that the homeless are wealthy in is time and their ability to, to be in the present and spend time and interact. So that's a little bit of what we do. And if anybody has any questions, you know, we're going to be around later. Yeah. Sorry to end, end, end this question, but I see the logo on your son's uh, <laughs> shirt there. Are, I forgive are, him for are, that. Are the Chargers going to play in San Diego I don't know what they're doing. Um, it, it changes every few months, and somebody makes a new plan to do this or that or the other. And um, my concern is that uh, our outreach schedule is a lot of, a lot of times based around uh, the Padres schedule and stuff downtown because they'll come and do sweeps on the homeless. And um, with that, but they're talking about dropping the latest plan drops their stadium right on in the middle of what's been a, a long time outreach area because that's where all the services are. So I don't know if they're going to use that as a way to leverage out the services further out to get it out of downtown. Um, they made a big claim they were going to end homelessness in downtown San Diego by next year, about four years ago. And the numbers went down and they've just been climbing. Uh, but we're, we're seeing some very um, innovative strategies that are definitely designed to push out people who are hanging around because that's where the services are. I can't go too far away because I'll lose my bed if I don't get back in time. Uh, this is where my meal is today, where I know I can get, a, get food. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank Bless you. you. Sure.